We continue our journey as the Apostle John sees a second vision in heaven here in chapters 8 through 11. Uh, And without question, I reckon, what he sees this time is next level difficult. (laughs) And also it's it's even fuller, I think, with Old Testament. It's thicker and wider still this time, almost as if the whole Old Testament, in a way, has been juiced down to extract this uh, dream that he sees, this vision. So again, I think we ought to concede as we begin Apocalyptic is a hard genre for us today. Uh, We're just not used to this kind of writing, and so we need to be humble, that means, in our thinking, and we need to concede a lot of grace towards other ways that people might have uh, of understanding these same things. And so too of our time uh, today. I hope you find grace, uh, because I'm simply going to give you what jumped uh, uh, jumped out at me in the vision as I processed it uh, through the week. And, and you can then take the vision away, of course, uh, read through it, think through it, pray through it, chat through it later in other kinds of ways. Uh, ultimately, though, uh, in our time today, and as, the, as is the key, I think, to handling this genre, I'm going to try to draw out the big things in here, the things, therefore, that we can be sure that this must mean... Uh, because it'll be hard to be clear about some of the detail in these things uh, as we uh, work our way through, that much is for sure. But at chapter 8 and verse 2, it definitely seems that John is now seeing something new. I think that much we can probably agree on. A next vision is breaking in here, changing from uh, the lamb opening seven seals on a scroll last week to now seven angels sounding seven trumpets. Then... I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Uh, Who are these seven angels? Uh, We probably want to know before we get to the trumpets. Uh, Well, it's hard to say. Uh, Perhaps they are archangels like uh, Michael and Gabriel who are mentioned in some parts of Scripture. Gabriel even said that he stood in the presence of God in Luke 1.19. In other Jewish writings outside of Scripture and in Jewish tradition, seven archangels are given names. And so maybe that's what's on view here, archangels who stand before God. Closer to home, though, in Scripture, that is, and in Revelation, I wonder, too, if they might not be the seven angels of the seven churches whom Jesus was holding in his hand like stars back in chapter 1, if you remember a couple of weeks back. Are these seven those seven? Is probably a good question for us to think through. Uh, And yet, uh, while the vision will follow these seven angels and the trumpets, of course, that they sound, uh, I can't help but think that maybe we're more supposed to lock in to this other angel uh, in verse 3 who seems to coordinate all these things. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. I mean, if the seven angels, uh, let's uh, presume, were archangels who stood before God, then who is John seeing here? Uh, In literal terms, uh, another angel, it just says. 
or messenger perhaps, as the word itself means. But what or, or who does he represent in the picture language of this new vision scene? We might have to park that thought, I'm afraid. We'll step through with the other seven angels for now. That's where the narrative goes. And, and as we do that, it might feel a little bit familiar, at least in terms of structure and, and flow. It, it's just like the vision from last week, this vision. In both visions, uh, chapters 4 to 7 last week and chapters 8 to 11 this week, uh, in both visions there were sevens, of course, uh, seven seals last time on that scroll and seven trumpets this time. Uh, in both, there were flashes of lightnings and rumblings and so forth. Uh, and on either side of the vision that happened, if we allow this one here to kind of segue us over, uh, both visions are obviously of God's judgment. Uh, both have a similar structure in terms of how the vision unfolds, uh, in that the first four events in each vision are, are kind of grouped. They're, they're like themed together and they're shorter, and the last three events are longer and, and ungrouped. Last week it was four horsemen, chapters four to seven, and then three different seals given in much more detail. Uh, this time, uh, four quick and fairly similar things come here, followed by three long things, marked off even with three woes in chapter 8 and verse 13. You see that pattern? It sort of comes in a four and then a three. In both visions, there is a sense of protection for God's church that breaks in, interrupts the flow of the seven, uh, right between the sixth and the seventh of the things. Uh, this time it's the temple at the beginning of chapter 11, uh, where God's people, it seems, will be safe. And both, of course, finish on number seven, uh, God's kingdom at peace and complete. The parallels are kind of hard to miss once they jump out which therefore brings us to a bit of a choice as to how we see, I guess, the flow here in Revelation from vision one that John sees to the second vision here today. Uh, it may be that all these things are chronological, uh, in uh, logical order, that, that the things in these chapters we've just read uh, flow on from what went before. Uh, that's one way we could take it, for sure. Uh, and many people do take Revelation that way, and, and of course you're welcome to take that way uh, two. What that does mean, however, is that you're going to need to account for things like God's judgment coming and God's kingdom coming three times. Uh, because, of course, there's another round of these sevens still to come later in the book in this basic pattern. Or another way we could see it is that this new vision here and uh, the third one still coming are, are giving John the same message for the church, just in different ways as if we get three different kind of walkthroughs of the same things that Jesus is wanting to tell us uh, must come. Uh, and many people take Revelation that way, and you, of course, are welcome to do that too. Uh, that may mean, however, that you have to approach this genre here uh, differently than you would engage with straight-up narrative, let's say, uh, and that it might therefore also be more figurative, uh, this genre, and, and big-picture-y than, than you might otherwise be used to. I'm going to step through the rest of Revelation in the series in that second kind of way, in that, as Joseph once said to Pharaoh, if you know that scripture, of Pharaoh's two dreams in Genesis 41, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. 
Uh, here in Revelation, it just seems uh, more likely to be the same way uh, to me. Uh, that they're not three cosmic judgment events and uh, three comings of God's kingdom uh, with a string of kind of checkpoints along the way, uh, but rather that there is one judgment coming and one kingdom of God that John is being shown here in, in three different ways. And uh, three deeper ways, I think, it gets shown in deeper and deeper ways as these visions uh, unfold. And so here at the second run-through, it's, it's therefore deeper than it was last week, but it's not as intense as uh, what is still to come in the third vision of sevens, uh, as he sees what I think are the same basic truths over again. Uh, as I say, though, uh, you are welcome to see the flow the other way, uh, or even another way. We, we just won't have time to explore both of those basic approaches in this one series. But if John is tracking through the same ground here as the vision from last week, suddenly all the similarities that I just flagged fall perfectly into place. And uh, we might even then interrogate it more, I guess, in terms of what's changed. Uh, and one thing I think that has changed in this second vision is that things have somehow uh, been made more mysterious, but at the same time they've been made more plain uh, in that the language now seems to be putting these things out there for everyone to see. Uh, in the first vision, the breaking of seals on a scroll was just somehow more intimate language, as if Jesus was showing John and the church of the things that must come. There's, there's just something private about that kind of setting. Whereas here in Vision 2, John sees, I think, the same concepts unfolding, but in a much more public kind of way. The sounding of trumpets is, is geared towards everyone, everywhere, being warned of the things that must come. At any rate, park that thought for a moment too, uh, and let's uh, get to this. Let's just look through the pattern of sevens uh, this time around. Uh, there's no question, uh, I'm sure, as uh, you were listening to the reading, that these trumpets bring judgment. Uh, there's also no real question, once you uh, see it there, that this kind of echoes God's judgment upon Egypt in Moses' day. Uh, chapter 8 and verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Uh, fire mixed with hail, that's Exodus chapter 9 and verse 23, across a global scale now. Uh, the second angel blew his trumpet, uh, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Uh, waters being turned to blood, that's Exodus 7 and verse 20. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Uh, Exodus 7 again, uh, verse 21. Uh, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened. And a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Exodus 10, 21 and 22. Uh, 
then here comes this structural change that I mentioned in these sevens. Uh, just like last week, a change comes now. Uh, then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. The three woes are now overlain over the rest of these sevens and uh, we'll have to uh, try to wrap those up in chapter 12 next week. Uh, but the first two woes resolve in chapter 9 uh, right here with trumpet 5 and trumpet 6. The fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And then locusts come pouring out of the smoke, actually very much like the warning by the Old Testament prophet Joel, if you know that scripture, but not literal locusts, we should think, uh, in the vision uh, pictured out here. They're not here to eat plant life, uh, but to torment people with their stings. And Satan, I think we can probably say, is the one who's been allowed to unleash these uh, things, whom uh, Jesus saw fall like a star from heaven, he said in Luke 10, 18. Uh, defeated by Jesus, but still allowed to cause harm. And yet no torment shall come to Jesus' people from this, uh, which he also did say at the time of Luke chapter 10. Uh, so too here in verse 4. Uh, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. God's people are saved unto him. Uh, they are marked for him. They are protected from the spiritual darkness of evil, as we reflected on last week. Uh, keep your eyes on that as we track through Revelation. If you have the mark of God on you, then, then ultimately... You have nothing to fear in all the, the dark and evil things that we read of in this, and, and not in the spiritual sense at least, but nor with this terror in the meantime of trumpet number five. Uh, inflicted on the world by Satan, I think it is, yes, as verse 11 again would seem to say. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Angel here clearly means something darker than what we would usually think. Uh, Abandon means destruction, as the footnote says there. Apollyon means destroyer in the Greek. This is a messenger. Uh, this is a bringer of evil. Uh, the fallen angel, I think this clearly is. Satan, uh, who uh, fell from heaven like a star. Isaiah 14, verse 12. So too I kind of wonder if the four angels unleashed with the next trumpet might also be fallen like Satan, bringing such destruction. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates they too are allowed to unleash destruction with a formidable army of horsemen, also just like the Old Testament prophecy by Joel. Uh, they kill a third of the world's people by fire and smoke and sulphur. 
And I think we can infer again that, that those outside the church are the people here on view. Because despite all of this, uh, and here's, I think, where our eyes should at the very least try to land, that despite all of this torment and woe all around, those who don't belong to God will still not repent. As it says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. It's got to make you think, don't you reckon? Uh, What would it take? What would it take to make these people repent? If these six things hadn't brought them to repentance, would anything turn them to God? Uh, And uh, as with the seven seals last week, at this point we're probably itching to get to trumpet number seven. But as with last week, that part of the vision gets derailed, for a moment at least, and by an even bigger interruption this week that stretches across two chapters. It starts in chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And the language there has suddenly gone back to the divine language that is used in Scripture, hasn't it? The divine language that we saw in chapter 1 and in chapters 4 and 5 over the last couple of weeks. Coming in a cloud is language associated with the presence of God in Scripture and with his Son of Man. The rainbow, if you recall from chapter 4, was wrapped around God's throne. The face like the sun, the legs like fire, that that was used of the Son of Man in chapter 1. The roar of a lion, verse 3, is used of Yahweh in places like Amos chapter 1 and Joel chapter 3. He has a scroll open in his hand, this mighty angel, just like Jesus opened a scroll in chapters 5, 6 and 7. And he seems to be sovereign over all these trumpets, this mighty angel, such that when the seventh angel does sound his trumpet, it's this mighty angel, verses 5 through 7, it's this mighty angel who who will have overseen the fulfilment of all the mysteries of God. This might be talking about Jesus. Many Christians see it that way. If you've never heard me speak about Jesus before, then you might think that sounds like heresy to even consider that this mighty angel in John's vision could be Jesus. But let me explain. What I mean to say is that maybe John sees Jesus appear as an angel here in a vision where, if you scan it through a few times, this time around, angel seems to be the visual theme of this vision. If Jesus had appeared to John as a lamb in the last vision, 
Is it okay for Jesus to appear to him as an angel here? That is the question we need to think through. And yet, as I say, as an angel who seems to be sovereign over all these things, kind of like the other angel we saw back at the start in chapter 8 and verse 2. Or is it a functional kind of thing? Uh, In the Gospels, Jesus used the verbal form of apostle for himself all the time, the sent one. He called himself a prophet too in those Gospels and a king as he stood before Pilate. And he's also high priest, our Bible does say. Could he also fill the role of messenger or angel? Heresy would be to suggest that angel is all that Jesus is, or the highest that we might think him to be. And if you know me and if you know my ministry, you would know that I would never entertain such a thing. Far be it from me. Now, if you know me, if you've heard me speak of Jesus, I'm sure you will probably know that the testimony given to me is founded on the divinity of our Lord Jesus. And even as I've already laboured at great length, I think, in the last couple of weeks in Revelation, Jesus is fully divine. He is no less than God Almighty. But the question is, may he also carry out various roles as he fulfills all of God's mysteries or appear to people in visions as he pleases? Uh, Indeed, such seems to be the case in other parts of Scripture where the angel of the Lord appeared, if you know of some of those passages. The angel of the Lord appeared in places like Genesis 16 to Hagar in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord appeared in Genesis 22 to Abraham, in Genesis 31 to Jacob, and in Exodus 3 to Moses. In Exodus 14, the angel of the Lord appeared to all Israel, Judges 6 to Gideon and Judges 13 to Manoah and his wife. In some kind of mystery in scriptures like those, the angel of the Lord appeared to them. But if you read the passage through, it was also the Lord. So maybe in Revelation 10 here to John, may not God appear to people however he pleases? On the other hand, of course, uh, this may be an actual angel who who simply represents to us the glory of Jesus on his behalf. And of course, we could take it that way. Uh, At any rate, the mighty angel that John sees here uh, commissions him. Uh, And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. The heart of this vision, if we put all the the details aside, the heart of this vision, the part that must be clear and true in here, the judgment and the kingdom of God that are coming, they must continue to be proclaimed by Jesus' apostle, John. He is commissioned here to do that. Even though all the other seals and trumpets are are unfolding, that the message here must ring out until that seventh trumpet does sound when the mystery of God will be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets, as the mighty angel says here. Uh, To which, again, I can't help wonder if if the rest of this uh, interruption to the trumpets in chapter 11, uh, that these two witnesses should testify in verse 3, 
Well, again, I don't know, but I wonder if those two witnesses might not be the prophets and the apostles who brought us God's word, Old Testament and New, which at John's point in time here, he therefore must carry on. The prophets most certainly held back rain and struck the waters and the earth. And Moses and Elijah in particular seem to line up with the witness idea conveyed here. So maybe it's speaking to us of, of the law and the prophets. But the apostles of Jesus also did many signs and wonders too, didn't they? And they were sent out too, weren't they? And why? To give witness. To give witness. Testifying to the Lord of all the earth, these witnesses are to do. Verse 4 says the one who's been speaking here. As was also said, by the way, uh, in the vision that Zechariah had once seen of these two witnesses. Uh, and yet, what have we just seen in our small groups in Acts chapter 1 this term? Uh, John here and the other apostles would testify to Jesus, to the ends of the earth. Uh, just to be clearer, I think, against any kind of heresy trying to sneak in, Jesus in Acts chapter 1 is the Lord of all the earth, mentioned here in verse 4. Uh, and the world might think they overcame his prophets and apostles the way they did as history unfolded and as John was forewarned right here. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. But the prophets and apostles weren't defeated, verse 11 and 12. They were called up to Jesus. But how then will the message still be proclaimed until the day of that last trumpet? Here I come back to wondering, as I was at the start, if the seven angels with the seven trumpets in this vision are not the seven angels of the church from chapter 1. And that what these trumpets might convey then is what those angels will have the church now proclaim. The coming of God's kingdom. The coming of judgment on that day. If those seven angels are the seven angels from chapter 1, the angels of Jesus' church whom he held like stars in his hand and, and whom he wrote all those letters to in chapters 2 and 3 to give to his church, for the correction and guidance and clarification, for the, for the comfort and the assurance that his church needed. If, if these angels here are those angels, then I think it's pretty hard not to see in the second vision here, John sees, the role of the church in all these things. To be proclaiming to the world what the prophets of old and the apostles of Jesus like John have seen. That we would be the trumpet sound that these angels would ring out across all of the world. And hence why this revelation is what Jesus has given John for the church. Chapter 1 and verse 1. That his word would now be complete for this purpose. But even if these aren't the seven angels from chapter 1, what is the church supposed to proclaim today if not this that we're reading? What could be more important for people to hear than the judgment and the kingdom of God that are coming? Perhaps then, as the church takes up that role, Jesus will bring forth his purposes 
set out here that judgment will fall as it must everywhere but on Jesus' church. That our prayers, back in chapter 8 and verse 3, our prayers would be in line with this vision, mixed up with this incense and offered up to God so that, yes, indeed, the judgment of God would fall down like fire from heaven so that the pure kingdom of God would come. I mean, that would make pretty good sense of those opening verses of the vision at the start of chapter 8, don't you think? And it would bring the concept, I suppose, from vision number one last week into practice in Jesus' church, that we should be praying for Jesus' judgment and salvation to come as per chapter 8 and verse 3, declaring those things to the world so that whoever would be saved would repent and be saved. The intriguing details of the vision put to the side for a minute. Isn't, isn't the church equipped Now, by the testimony delivered up once for all time by the prophets and the apostles of God in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and Jude, verse 3, aren't we equipped with the Bible to explain to the world why the world is how it is, why awful things happen, whether it be natural disasters, whether it be demonic powers invisibly at play, whether it be telling them about the torment and the agony that life outside of Jesus inevitably brings. Anyway, I digress. It's hard to keep from drifting in this dreamy kind of genre, wouldn't you say? Uh, You can chat later about these and all kinds of things. Let's come back and close out this vision with what has been written here in chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And no matter how we try to piece together chapters 8, 9 and 10, here at the end of chapter 11 our our minds and our hearts can rest. We know how all of this must end. God has revealed it. The trumpets must sound. The judgment must fall. The kingdom of Jesus must come. Bitter sweet indeed, as the mighty angel had said. The best pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for your word. Very difficult word, this book of Revelation. We pray you help us as we try to wrestle with it this series. We must concede to you, Father, though, that we don't understand all the details of these visions. Uh, So too, perhaps, we should confess that, that sometimes what we want to understand is more than what you have chosen to reveal. Father, as we do try to understand this scripture today and as we go away and and sit with it more closely, we ask you uh, this, please. Uh, Whatever is right in our thinking today and and whatever is right in what I have said, uh, we pray you please water those things and, and make them grow. Lead us into the truth of your word. And yet so too. Anything I have said or that we might have thought that is not of you, let it wither and die right away. Keep us from falling into lies. Give us courage too, we pray, to take your word and hold it up in this world, to teach people of your judgment and kingdom that are coming.
And in Jesus' name we pray that you keep us safe with Christ until that last trumpet does sound. And in his name we pray. Amen.